This is episode 11 in our bi-weekly series of the Saving Christianity episodes, coming to you every other Tuesday from Christian Family Online. I'm Shannon Wolf, the producer of the Saving Christianity podcast, and I'm your host for this episode. The title of this episode is Owen's Story. Again, that's Owen's Story. And in this episode, I'm going to interview Dr. Owen Allen, the co-founder of this podcast. I think we'd all like to have a little bit more insight into what God has done in his life in the past and what God is doing today. We'd also like to know uh, why he wrote the challenging book, Saving Christianity, and why he co-founded this podcast. So let's welcome Dr. Owen Allen to our show. Well, thank you, Shannon, and God bless you for taking your time out of the busy schedule to plan this interview, and God's blessings on all of our friends who are listening out there in podcast land. Well, Dr. Owen, I, I've grown to know you a little bit uh, over the past years or so, and, and uh, I know a little bit about you, but I think a, a lot of our listeners, including myself, uh, are excited to know a little bit more about your story. And so uh, let's just start from the beginning. Where are you from originally? <laughs> well, I'm a rare animal, actually. In fact, I think recently they put me on the endangered species list. Um, I'm an actual Floridian. And only 36% of the people living in Florida were actually natives of Florida, uh, born there. And that percentage is dropping uh, every year. My parents had a home, and my father had a career in Jacksonville when I was born. And so my earliest years were spent there. Um, Then at about age 10, I don't know the exact age, My father made a career change and moved us to Tampa. And so I grew up in Tampa, Florida, uh, lived there until I graduated high school and joined the service. But I led a a wonderful life, looking back on it, Shannon, of a typical Floridian of those days, uh, boating, spearfishing, camping, all kinds of adventures. And Looking back now with perspective of years, I was richly blessed by God to have a a wonderful childhood there in Florida. That does sound like a a typical boy's life, so that's great. (laughs) What about your your, your family, your parents? Tell us a little bit more about them, please. Well, my father was a very creative person looking back on it. Um, He was an engineer and an inventor. Uh, and he worked in the natural gas industry, so he traveled a lot. My mother was a homemaker, I guess you call it that. I had one sibling, a brother by the name of James, two years younger than me. Um, he, like me, grew up to be a pastor in Columbia, South Carolina. He's in heaven now, and so are my parents. Mom is definitely more than a homemaker. That's one of the most important jobs in the Tell whole world to hear it. that. <laughs> well, what about school? Um, uh, I know how I was in school and, and, and all that, but uh, <laughs> what about you? Were you a good student? Nah, I wish it could be, but uh, not at first. I was uh, probably a C student with a few A's, B's, and D's thrown in. Um, and it was a reason for that, Shannon. Again, looking back. Uh, as the old saying goes, you have twenty twenty hindsight and zero zero foresight. Uh, I was too distracted uh, by outside activities to be a good student. And looking back on it now, I realize that from my youngest days, I had a very strong desire for travel and adventure. And I didn't understand that at the time, of course. I just thought that was how you lived. And I was too distracted by those desires to really excel in the classroom. Got you. So when you say that you were distracted by outside activities, uh, did you? are you talking about like sports? What, what are you talking about with those, those activities? Well, yes and no as far as sports are concerned. Um, frankly, I was too distracted with these other activities for the intense training and time commitment that the sport teams require. So I didn't, did not play uh, baseball, basketball, and football like most young people. I did letter and track, and I was good at track. 
and did that because that team required the least practice and training (laughs) that I could get on and still letter. And uh, like I said, I was good at it. In fact, uh, in my junior and senior years of high school, we were Tampa Bay champions and uh, and also with Florida State champions. Well, that's great. Uh, so besides track, were there any other outside activities that, that you were talking about uh, that kept you from being a good student? Well, again, uh, being adventuresome, I guess, from the time I could walk. I don't know when it started, but as a very small child, I remember walking in the woods with my Red Rider Daisy BB <laughs> gun. I remember uh, camping in the backyard. Of course, I joined scouts. Uh, the big news is when I was, I don't know, 12 or 13 maybe, my best friend Don Davis and I began spearfishing and snorkeling under Gandy Bridge in Tampa Bay. And looking back on it, I don't know why my parents allowed this, but we'd get on our bicycles before sunrise and ride out to the marina, and we'd rent a rowboat. Of course, we didn't have a, an outboard motor, but we'd rent a rowboat. We'd row out to Gandy Bridge and tie up under it, and we'd stay there all day, spearfishing and snorkeling. We even had lunch uh, and a uh, little rest break in the boat, and then we'd stay out till sunset. Then we'd ride, uh, row back to the marina, get back on our bikes, and ride home. It's a wonderful, incredible Mm. life. I I still tell stories about it that people don't believe, but we had adventures with sharks and dolphins and manta rays and every kind of fish and marine life. And you know, Shannon, since those days, I've loved boats and the sea ever since. Mm. And there's something else funny I'll just throw in here that – that was a time period when I also started my first company, I call it. Uh, it was a lawn maintenance uh, deal, work and operation, and I had an agreement with neighbors, three four neighbors, I believe there were four, to maintain their lawns for them. And I did that every month. I would mow and trim their lawns. So I always had pocket money for scouts and spearfishing, camping, boats, uh, movies, anything I wanted to do. And looking back on it, I guess I was active and independent, maybe too much so. And then the final nail in the coffin, when I was about 15, my parents moved to a small ranch outside of Tampa on a place called Valrico Lake. And, of course, that added horse shows and rodeos and all kinds of adventures to my many, many distractions. So I understand that you were a big reader as well as a child. What, what, tell us a little bit about that. Well, I don't understand that myself, frankly. Reading is something I've done as long as I can remember. And, frankly, I believe it's a talent that God gave me. I remember, this is funny, Shannon, as a very young age when my parents would go on car trips, uh, I'd sit in the back seat and look out the window and I would read the billboards to them as we went along. And uh, I remember my parents glancing at each other and, you know, looking surprised when I would read some of those billboards. And looking back on it, that's probably the only thing that kept me from failing out of school was my my habit or talent for reading. Here's one last quick story. I'll never forget them. There was a branch of the Tampa Public Library only one block from my school. So after school, check this out, instead of riding the school bus home with the other children, I'd walk down to this library and read all afternoon until dinner time. Then I'd catch the city bus and take that home for dinner. And, you know, I never read fiction. I still don't like fiction. I only read nonfiction, mostly history. And I loved, and to this day, I love exciting uh, biographies of explorers and soldiers and other adventuresome people. I love that. Just just movies that I've seen, you know, as a kid and, and just <laughs> thinking about a boy's life. This this really and truly yeah. sounds like something that 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 uh, just a really good boy adventure. And so just mm-hmm. wholesome. And who would think today that that you could walk away from your school and walk to somewhere <laughs> else and then ride the city buses and all that as a child? I mean, that's just but but again, that, that, that's that's just what makes uh, your childhood unique uh, to you, but, but also unusual. 
And so, um, but but let's shift gears here and get a little closer to the theme of this episode, um, and, and let's talk about your spiritual life. Were you raised in a Christian home? Hmm. Well, the answer to that is yes. And again, that's another incredible blessing that I didn't appreciate at the time. My my parents were Christians. And so I've been a member of institutional Christianity since what they call the cradle roll, uh, and I'm still a member today. But our family, when growing up, we had devotions and Bible readings uh, at meals. Uh, we had bedtime prayers at night. Uh, my parents were active. They sang in the choir. They served on committees. Uh, I remember as a small child helping my mother carry baskets uh, to needy people and ringing their doorbell and giving them baskets of food and stuff. And those are very early memories. My brother and I attended morning services, evening services, Sunday school, youth group, youth choir, summer camp. And oddly enough, Shannon, as I mentioned earlier, we both became pastors later in life. And that, that to me, sounds like uh, a typical family. It sounds like, um, you know, what we think of as I go to church. This is probably mm-hmm. the, the, quote, one billion or so that, that, yeah. that claim that they're Christians kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But it, it stops at, for some people, it stops at attending morning services, mm-hmm. attending evening services, Sunday school, youth group, youth choir, et cetera, et cetera. But – what we really want to know now is when were you saved? In other words, when did you give your life to Christ? Hallelujah. Well, you know, this is something I've thought about a lot, Shannon. Like many Christians, I don't remember the exact day that I was saved. I know some denominations demand that, but um, I was very young. I don't remember the day, but I do remember exactly how it happened. I was about 11 at the time. And we were members of one of these denominations that was very formal and had a very rigid program. And uh, part of this program, each and every Lord's Day, was that the entire congregation stood up together in unison and recited the Apostles' Creed. This is every single Lord's Day. The whole congregation, men, women, and children of all ages, stood up and recited those beautiful words. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate. You know, Shannon, I could quote those 110 words instantly in my sleep to this day. So, this one particular Lord's Day, we're all standing reciting these words, and a very strange, clear thought popped in my head, and that thought was, I really do believe this. I really believe this. And I remember feeling surprised at the thought and having a tingling sensation, uh, and I realized that I really did believe the Apostles' Creed, every word of the 110 words, and I believe it today. And so I did believe Jesus Christ was God and was conceived by the Holy Ghost and was born of the Virgin Mary and all the rest of it. And so I think that was the day, Shannon, that the Holy Spirit indwelled me and baptized my inner spirit and supernatural power. And that's what we call getting saved or accepting Christ or being born again. Of course, I didn't know, and here's the problem. I didn't know that being saved only made me an infant Christian. Nobody told me that. And so, like millions of other Christians, you mentioned that billions of us earlier, I assumed that that there was nothing else to be done. That's all I needed to do. And I didn't find out, Shannon, until many years later that I also needed to grow and become a mature Christian. Well, earlier you mentioned a, uh, a a title, and I don't think it's like the uh, the Rotary Club or the <laughs> or the, the the Lions Club or the Moose Lodge or whatever. Uh, uh, I don't think it's actually a physical organization. But you mentioned uh, that you were a member of the institutional Christianity. 
since since you were born, and 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 so that's a curious uh, a curious word or, or a couple of words there. Institutional Christianity. Tell us a little bit more about what you mean by that. Well, that's a great question, Shannon. Frankly, and I'm sure that it took me many many decades of life to figure that out myself. But if you think about it. Uh, as a, a, an organizational group or a group of a couple of billion people, Christianity can be divided into two very broad categories or groups. The first category is what we call small groups that meet informally in homes, uh, and they let the Holy Spirit guide their worship. And that's what the original Christians had. That's all they had in the early centuries. Now, today— There are still those groups. They still exist, but they're very rare. Now, the second category is large groups that meet formally in large buildings and have a rigid program uh, that guides their worship. Frankly, that's what we call today the denominations. That would be the Baptist, Methodist, Lutheran, Catholic, and all the others. And they're what we usually refer to as institutional Christianity. They're, they're formally, uh, many times in most cases, uh, they're legal corporations and, they're, and they have, you know, bookkeepers and all the things that go with it. And they are formally an institution. And that's what I've been a member of since the cradle roll. Frankly, I never saw my first early Christian type small group until I was in my 30s. Well, like most, uh, since you've been a member of the, quote, Christ, uh, excuse me, institutional Christianity uh, your whole life, tell us a little bit more about that. Has your membership uh, been a happy one? Hmm. Has it been a happy one? Well, how do I answer that, uh, Shannon? Like most Christians, I was taught to attend the denominations by my parents. So I didn't know, and they didn't know, and nobody else knew uh, there was so- anything else that we could do. But no, to be deathbed honest, as I say, no. Attending the denominations uh, hasn't always been happy, and in fact, um, uh, some of my most the most painful experiences in my life uh, has happened uh, as being member of some of the denominations. Well, and, and having been in ministry since I was uh, in my uh, early 20s, uh, it is hard to hear that, that people do have painful experiences, uh, often um, accompanied with denominationalism or mm. with the church just in general. So mm. so what do you mean by when you're saying painful experiences? Uh, give us a little bit more insight into that, please. Well, let's see. Let's back up one step. I said that after I was saved in Tampa as a child, I was an infant a Christian until my 30s. And that meant that the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit lay dormant in me all those years. And I didn't know that, of course. And that he had very little influence over my early behavior. We've talked so much about behavior uh, in these episodes, and this is one of the reasons why. Uh, my behavior, uh, as we've said in the previous uh, episode, I didn't know it at the time, uh, was totally selfish all these, uh, all those early years. And the Holy Spirit's supernatural power uh, had very little influence over me. Got you. So really and truly, no one taught you how to grow spiritually. No one um, taught you how to let the Holy Spirit guide your daily life. Well, that's right. And you know what? Uh, That lack of guidance by the Holy Spirit was the root of all the trouble in my life. And I had my share of bad decisions and troubles and the service and college and other places. And as we've said, uh, that's also the root of all the trouble in today's Christianity. We've talked about that, Shannon, in earlier episodes that um, uh, uh, institutional Christianity today, uh, just recently, uh, there were uh, uh, a Gallup, a new Gallup poll came out on that this week. But uh, Christian attendance is declining. And also, the Christian influence in our culture is declining. Got you. So, 
Can you give us an example then of a time when you were growing up when you were not taught the importance of being guided by the Holy Spirit? Oh, my goodness. What a question. <laughs> well, I mean, my whole life until my 30s would answer that. But let me think a second. I could give you many, probably from my childhood, some of them humorous. I don't know. But here's one that pops in my head. Uh, when I was my brother and I, I mentioned earlier, always went to summer camp. This was a denominational Christian camp. And I remember one year, I believe I was 14 that summer. One of the things that we did was when the camp was over, and I've forgotten now how many weeks that was, but it was several weeks. And when camp was over, we always had a graduation night. And we had a banquet, and we had a service, and all the parents and the pastors of the different uh, uh, congregations represented by the children came to the camp that night to see the service and have the banquet, and then the next morning we packed our cars and went home. So uh, one of the things that we did, this is you're not going to believe this, but it's true. Uh, at that graduation service and that banquet, each of our dorms, we lived in dorms, uh, had to present a skit, a little play. And these skits had to be approved by the camp counselors, and they were supposed to present a Christian theme. So check this out. That, that year when I was 14, our dorm did our skit for the parents that night, and we did a Frankenstein skit, <laughs> a Frankenstein skit. Okay. One of the boys uh, built up some, some platform shoes, and he dressed up like Frankenstein. And the rest of us dressed up like the ragged villagers. And in this skit, we pretended to fight Frankenstein with these long sticks that we'd gone through the woods and picked up. And here's the, the beautiful thing. We got a standing ovation from the counselors, the parents, and the pastors when our skit was over. But here's the point. All of the dorms that night presented skits based on book and movie themes like we did. And nobody told us. Nobody told us. Maybe because apparently uh, it didn't occur to the counselors and the parents and the pastors in the audience that our skits were not spiritual. They weren't even Christian skits. Nobody at the camp seemed to realize that our skits did not have a Christian message and had nothing to do with teaching us children how to grow spiritually. Well, that's definitely interesting. Uh, I definitely can see the picture of, of what you're trying to say uh, a little more clearly now. So you're not against, quote, institutional Christianity as such. You just feel that it doesn't teach its members how to have spiritual behavior. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Uh, I love the uh, institutional Christianity. Always have, always will. I'm active in it today. I love the people in it. But let's face it, you've got to, you know, it, Shannon, in this podcast, we're trying to be absolutely what I call deathbed honest. We're trying to be practical. We're trying to be logical. We're trying to look at things with our feet on the ground. And remember, we've said so many times in these episodes, the Gallup polls show that Today's average Christian is no more spiritual than a non-Christian. Think about that a second. That's devastating. And that's why I wrote the book, Saving Christianity, and that's why John and I have co-founded this podcast. And we want people to have a book to read and episodes to listen to that'll teach them how to be, uh, how to have spiritual behavior. And let me add this uh, real quick, uh, Shannon. Somebody asked me this about a week ago, and here's how I answered them. I said, look, what if I was a quality control manager at John Deere uh, factory building tractors? And what if those tractors started coming off the assembly line with one wheel missing? Now I'm the quality manager. 
would I be critical? Would I be doing something ugly if I went to the foreman of that assembly line and say, pardon me, but do you know that the tractors are coming off with one wheel missing and we ought to do something? Uh, That's silly, but that's what quality control people do, and they're not criticized, and nobody's mad at them because they're supposed to uh, control the quality in a process and highlight any deviations from that quality. And that's sort of how I feel about institutional Christianity. I just see when a wheel comes off, and I feel like I should tell somebody. Well, there's definitely no use in having a tractor with only three wheels. Uh, uh, and that's definitely something you, you, you've got to say something about that or you're going to shut down the plant because exactly. you're making a bunch of junk. And so so but you said something, Dr. Owen, that I think is very much worth repeating again. And it hurts to hear it. Uh, but it also um, you, you want to take a self-evaluation when you hear this kind of of information and, and go, OK, where am I at? This is this is a self-check for me. Uh, just even as as a you know a pastor myself, I, I still we st- we need to be taking self checks all the time, and so mm-hmm. you you give a poll about Christians, and it, mm-hmm. and it, and it hurts on one hand, but on the other hand, it causes us to go like you're saying with this quality control and not produce tractors with with three wheels, but also not to produce. Um, institutional Christians. What did you say that that, that poll was again? Well, there have been a, a lot of these polls, uh, Shannon, I'm, and I love the Gallup polls because I knew, uh, I knew uh, Gallup personally. And uh, in fact, I had dinner with him one night in Washington many years ago, George Gallup Jr. Uh, he's deceased now. He's in heaven. He was a Christian. And uh, we talked uh, over dinner about uh, these Gallup polls that show, and here's what they show, that today's average Christian is no more spiritual than a non Christian. And that's why, to tie back a second, that's why the counselors and parents and pastors at summer camp that year thought Frankenstein was a Christian skit. Hmm, interesting. I want to know, is this, uh, was this skit in black and white back then, or was it in color? <laughs> <laughs> I, that, that shouldn't have said that. It's picking it, on your age. Sorry. It, it was in total color. It was in total color. Okay, I, well, I believe it was really black. <laughs> I think the black dog performed. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk a little bit more about your book. Um, uh, actually, before we do that, though, um, let's go back to how you grew up. Um, and you were, you were telling us a little bit about your high school years. Um, what happened after high school? Well, I did graduate, and I went directly into the military. Young people today don't realize, I guess, Shannon, that America had the draft in those days, and every boy had to go whether or not he wanted to. But I was anxious to go and because of my very strong need for travel and adventure, and so I joined the Marines right after high school graduation and left for active duty. And while I was on active duty, though, sort of a tragedy, I guess, in my life. Uh, it still hurts a little. But uh, while I was on active duty, uh, my father had another career change, and he moved the family to South Carolina. So when I got out of, uh, uh, out of the Marines, off active duty, uh, I had to go there to join my family. And South Carolina became my home then for several years, and I never returned to Florida except for vacations. Oh, wow. Okay. So when you were in South Carolina, um, where did you work at? What did you do when you were there? Well, <laughs> I found out that <laughs> real quick that I didn't have any um, – Civilian skills. You, we need to remember that I just was a high school graduate at that time and then had been in the Marines. And so I found out there were no jobs there for ex-Marine tank commanders. <laughs> so I tried several unsuitable jobs for a few months. I remember I worked in a print shop and different things. And then one day my father called me in and he said that what I really needed to do to, to shape up my life was to enroll in college. And I hadn't really thought about that, oddly enough. You talk about clueless. I didn't know anything growing up so except to have fun. 
So I did. I enrolled in college there in South Carolina, and that was a big turning point in my life, really the first one. Gotcha. So so what did college have to do with, with uh, giving you a big turning point in your life? Well, you have to remember now what we've talked about. The only civilian job experience that I had at the time uh, was my teenage years on the ranch at Valrico Lake, Florida. And so this sounds strange today. I can't even believe I'm saying it, but when I arrived on the campus, you had to pick a major, and I enrolled in college with an agricultural major, thinking that maybe someday I might own a ranch or something. And and that was when God stepped in with the first really big supernatural miracle of my life. Your first big miracle was in college? <laughs> Tell me about it. It was. And you know, it happened, Shannon, in my third semester— I was sitting in my dorm one day, minding my own business, and the phone rang, and a voice told me to report to the office of Professor Patricia K. Hill was her name. I still remember her, elderly lady, and she was uh, my English professor. Well, naturally, I thought I was in trouble, that I had failed a paper or something, so I jumped up and went to her office, and when I got there, she sat me down and talked to me like what they used to call a Dutch uncle. She really laid it on the line, and she told me that I was wasting my time being in agriculture. She said that I had more writing talent than any of her other students, And she said that I needed to change my major immediately from agriculture to English. Interesting. Can you imagine? Mm. Well, here I'm sitting here like a dumb bunny wearing cowboy boots and everything. And I'd never thought about a career in writing. I had no idea that I had writing talent. Mm. And the strangest part, though, about this entire thing is that I was completely calm and peaceful as Professor Hill told me these things. And I've thought about that, Shannon. Remember, I was still an infant Christian during these years, and so I didn't understand that the reason that I felt so calm and peaceful was that the Holy Spirit was guiding me in this massive change in my life. Well, what happened? Uh, Did you actually change majors? Well, I did, but here's the funny part. I didn't question Professor Hill. I didn't phone my parents. I didn't even contact my class advisor on the campus. Instead, I stood up. I left Professor Hill's office. I walked straight to the registrar's office, changed my major from agriculture to English, and in less than an hour— the Holy Spirit had given me a completely new life. Interesting. So exactly what was this new life that he gave you? Well, there were two more semesters, the next two semesters for me there on the campus. A whole new world opened that I didn't even know existed. I was appointed a tutor for the English department. I was appointed a writer for the campus magazine. I was elected president of the Campus Writers Club. And this is funny. I even began to socialize with the English professors on the campus instead of with the other students. And I would go to their homes and have dinner with them and all that sort of stuff. And so I set new goals for my whole life, first to become a college professor and second to become a best-selling author. Well, have you reached those goals yet? I did reach him, but sweetheart, it was many years later uh, because uh, due to family and financial problems, I had to drop out of college in my junior year and enter the world of business. But here's what's interesting. I guess I became what they call a professional student then because for years and years after that, while I was uh, fairly successful in business, I continued to take uh, night school and online courses. And you know what, Shannon? Eventually, that way, 
Uh, I earned three undergraduate degrees and two graduate degrees, including my doctorate in organizational behavior, and I even had advanced studies at Oxford in England. Well, that's that's very interesting. It's a far cry from agriculture, that's for sure. Uh, and and my wife, she she would say that she was the same thing. She would, she, if she could be just a professional student, she would go to school all the time. And so uh, that really truly is a, an incredible story, Doctor Owen. Thank you so much. Uh, let's let's look a little bit back now um, at, at spiritual growth uh, for a minute. Um, you said that you were still an infant several times uh, during these years. Um, when did you actually start to grow spiritually? Well, that's another incredible, miraculous story, actually. Uh, you know, sometimes uh, I'll say this to the side here, Shannon. I've often said in my life that one way that I know when God is doing something in my life, when I know that something is God's will in my life, is when it's the last thing I would ever thought about. Mm. Think about that a second. You know, God's right intelligent, Mm -hmm. and I'm certainly not. And uh, so uh, just like the story about Professor Hill, the next big turning point in my life was when the Holy Spirit moved a second time overnight virtually, just like in Dr. Hill's office, gave me a completely new life. The sad thing is I was 33 at the time. I'd wasted all of those years, and this happened in a New York City hotel room. Um, you started spiritual growth in a, in a hotel room in New York City. Okay, yeah, that would scare anybody. But, you know, it, the truth is, Shannon, that I lived in St. Louis at the time. I'd long since left South Carolina and uh, was uh, uh, comfortable in St. Louis, and I was the co-founder and executive vice president of a computer company at the time. Uh, it's a wonderful company. In fact, believe this or not, uh, we owned uh, the copyrights to the word database, if you can imagine that in hmm. those days. and uh, But the company was in financial trouble. And I won't go into all the reasons why, but the reason I was in New York that day was to raise money to save the company. And my efforts failed. And I'd come out of a very disastrous uh, conference with a bunch of stockbrokers and investors, and they had refused to help. And so walking back to my hotel, I realized for the first time that The company was going to fail, was going to close, and I was probably going to to lose everything. So I went back to my room, and this was very unlike me then, obviously. I hadn't done anything like this since childhood, but I knelt and prayed in that room for help, prayed to God for help. And for the first time in my life, I experienced what Christians call spirit-filling, This was my first spirit feeling. And, you know, my crisis was dramatic at that time. And so the experience with the Holy Spirit was dramatic, too. And my whole room filled with a blue mist. And I felt like I was far away, like I was in the bottom of a well. Well, that's very interesting. So what happened next? Well, I don't know, uh, looking back on it now, I do a lot of looking back, as you can tell. (laughs) Uh, It was a vision experience, uh, but it was like I was talking to God in the room, Shannon, and he revealed everything that was going to happen to me uh, and what the outcome of it all was going to be. And it was one of the most spiritual experiences of my life. It hasn't been surpassed but a couple of times since then. In fact, it changed me so completely that when I got home, friends on the street didn't recognize me. Mm. So the company, um, did the company fail? Yeah, it totally failed. Mm. It did close. I did lose everything. And so... Uh, there at the age of 33, I started over from scratch exactly as the Holy Spirit said. Mm. But here's the good news again. Uh, uh, just like in Professor Hill's office, I was completely calm and peaceful, never had any stress. 
And overnight, virtually, the Holy Spirit gave me a whole new life. He moved me to North Carolina, where we still are today. He guided me in starting a new company, if you can imagine that, just weeks after the old company had failed. And I operated that new company internationally for the next 45 years. But here's a funny part, and I didn't expect this either. He also started me in the ministry, and all this within just a few months. And I want our our friends who are listening to this to know that that's the power of spiritual growth. The Holy Spirit can completely change our lives virtually overnight. Wow. So just just to kind of slow down a little bit, uh, <laughs> let's let's clear up a point that you just said. Uh, you said the Holy Spirit started you in the, quote, ministry then. Um, however, you had no religious education. How is that possible? Well, that's true. And that is funny, isn't it? Talk mm-hmm. about a miraculous God, which I might point out he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I had read a lot and had a lot of education, but I didn't have one day of, of um, I guess we'd call it uh, religious training. But so that was part of the the miraculous new life that the Holy Spirit gave me uh, when uh, he moved me to North Carolina. And we got to remember that the Bible says nothing is impossible with God. I believe the Bible says that four or five times. I think there are 50 different verses that indicate that. And I was thinking uh, the other day, that was a song, wasn't it? Nothing is impossible when you put your trust in God. Glory, hallelujah. So that's what I did. Uh, And when I got, obviously, to North Carolina, uh, I joined the institution, as we've been talking, I joined a Christian congregation near my home there. And check this out now soon, without my knowledge or even guessing it, a group of the teenagers in the congregation sent a delegation, went to the pastor, and asked the pastor and the elders for me to be hired as their youth pastor. And so when I was called in and presented with this, and I don't know why I did it, but I did. I accepted the position. Well, I know why I did it, the Holy Spirit. I accepted the position, and that was my gateway into Christian service. I entered the ministry through the back door, if you want to call it that, uh, of the youth ministry, because in that uh, denomination, that required uh, less rigorous uh, religious education. Okay, well that makes sense. I understand, uh, uh, and I also understand that when that's that's when you were exposed to early Christian type small groups for, for the first time. Is that right? Well, there you go again. Uh, it's just absolutely amazing. I mean, I'm surprising myself uh, given these answers, Shannon. Uh, the way God wove all of this together in a beautiful, beautiful picture. But yeah, uh, a spiritual awakening was going on in that part of North Carolina at the time. I, I guess what we Christians call a revival. And people were meeting in small groups in their homes to pray about this revival. And I didn't know any of this at the time, but the Holy Spirit was moving in new and different ways in these small groups. And there were healings and miracles of all kinds happening in people's homes uh, in these small groups. Well, of course, I was in the youth ministry, and the young people started talking about all this stuff. So I began to visit some of these groups uh, with them where the young people were going and uh This is where I first heard the term spirit fill. And this was when I realized for the first time, because remember, I didn't have any religious training. This was when I realized for the first time that my early, uh, the earlier experience in that New York hotel room had been my first spirit filling. Well, eventually, uh, it's a long, long story, but eventually I formed a first-century-style small group in my own home. And those years were some of my greatest spiritual growth and the most incredible spiritual miracles. So is this also when you discovered the, quote, early Christian lifestyle as well? 
Yeah, that all happened during this very same period. I had met a man in one of these meetings who was uh, a retired military officer, and he's a very rare person. He's in heaven now, but he had studied the early Christian lifestyle for years. And so he invited me to come to his home over a period of weeks, and I sat with him on his patio. I don't know why, but that's where we sat. He had some nice patio furniture. And he walked me through the Bible, and he showed me how the early Christians had originally lived and worshipped. Of course, I'd never heard any of this before, even though I had been a Christian since childhood. And he explained to me what had happened to me in that New York hotel room. And he explained what was happening in the youth ministry. And he explained what was happening in my small group. And he was the first person to ever tell me that I could have the fruit of the Spirit, and the gifts of the Spirit in my daily life. And that's what I'm calling the early Christian lifestyle. So this man, again, I met him, quotes by coincidence. You know the old saying, if God had made his name coincidence, there wouldn't be any atheists. So this man uh, entered my life in one of these small groups, and it was another tremendous turning point in my life. You can see I've had a lot of turning points in my life from the Holy Spirit. And that's that's all great, and, and I love that that's part of your story. Uh, and so now you've written a book, and you started a podcast, and you're, you're, you're teaching others how to live the early Christian lifestyle? That's the plan. That's uh, John Shields and I thought it was about time for somebody somewhere to step up to the plate and tell people why Christianity is in crisis today and what we can do about it. Well, you, so you're mentioning uh, crisis, uh, Christianity in a crisis. Um, actually, several times I've heard just throughout these podcasts and recording uh, these. And, and, and so um, just clear that up a little bit more for us, please. What, what does that mean? Well, think about it. As we said, institutional Christianity, the modern denominations, is what most Christians attend or did attend or once attended. Uh, but we know uh, from what we've said about the Gallup polls that uh, in the institutions, the denominations are struggling these days. Attendance is declining. Uh, we've mentioned earlier in an episode that uh, in recent years, only 16% of the American population uh, uh, regularly attended the denominations. And now, of course, the most recent polls are showing that uh, because of the COVID-19 pandemic of the year 2020, uh, attendance is even less, uh, dropping like a brick. And so worse than that, of course, uh, Christianity has almost completely lost its influence on culture. How do we know that? Look around. Look at the high levels of crime, divorce, drug abuse, child abuse, all the negative behavior in society. And think about this. If institutional Christianity was more effective teaching spiritual growth, can't we agree that all that negative behavior, those levels of negative behavior would probably not be that high? I think we definitely could, uh, especially <laughs> looking back. Uh, so, so your book, um, this podcast with Pastor John Shields, uh, says they say that Christianity is uh, definitely declining because of the quote institutional denominations. Uh, they're not teaching their members how to live the early Christian lifestyle. Is that right? Yep, that's what the book and the podcast say. So really what you're saying is that one of the biggest lessons that you've learned um, is that living the, quote, early Christian lifestyle is the answer to all of our problems in life. Is that right? That's right. I mean, look at the, the stories that I've told here just very briefly, uh, the major turning points in my life, many of which were very troubling, like my company failing in St. Louis. And yet... Um, 
I went through all of those troubles with complete peace and complete comfort, and the Holy Spirit uh, turned each corner, turned each page in the story of my life, uh, so to speak, uh, painlessly. And and so that that's why that's why the the motto that John and I use in the book and the podcast is this: If we do what they did we'll have what they had. And we're speaking of the early Christians. I love that. I love that. What what exactly does that motto mean then? Well, the early Christian lifestyle, we just mean by that how the original Christians lived in the early centuries. And their behavior, if you read the written record, both in the Bible and outside of the Bible, their daily behavior was motivated by the Holy Spirit. Their motivator was the Holy Spirit, not their flesh. Think about this. And so they had the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit in their daily behavior at home and at work. Okay, so most of us have heard of the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit um, explain them a little bit more to us and the application of those, as you were just saying, the daily behavior mm-hmm. uh, that motivated uh, the early Christians. How can we implement those today? Well, it's a funny thing. You know, it, a lot of people talk about being spiritual and spiritual growth and rant rave and, and uh, being spirit-filled. And, and you say, okay, define that for me. What is that in practical everyday terms? And they look blank. So what we're saying is the fruit of the Spirit and the gift of the Spirit is what defines spirituality for Christians. Uh, That is spiritual growth. That is having more of that is spiritual growth. And the process of doing that is being Spirit-filled. What happened to me in my New York hotel room so strongly that people didn't recognize me when I got home. That's uh, what we're talking about, the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. Okay, so then what you're saying is if a person is Spirit-filled, then he or she has the fruit of the Spirit. And the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, and that's what's, what you're calling living the early Christian lifestyle. Is that right? Exactly. Exactly. And here's a big thing, Shannon. Remember that the gifts and the fruit are supernatural. Uh, what happened to me in that New York hotel room and in Professor Hill's office and uh, these other uh, times that we've discussed was supernatural. What I mean by that? Those experiences did not come from my human mind. They came from the Holy Spirit, and that's a big difference. I love that uh, you, you've you've pinpointed places in your life where you've seen the Lord uh, uh, turn corners with you. Our, our pastor, <laughs> Pastor John, would say uh, you're driving a stake in the ground. I love Amen. that you've done that. And so, so with that, then, can you explain? Um, the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit a little more clearly for us. Yeah, let's keep it very simple. The fruit of the Spirit is behavior. It's supernatural behavior of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and hope and all those wonderful things that the Bible lists. Uh, There are about 20 of them, and they come only from the Holy Spirit. And then the gifts of the Spirit, of course, are abilities. They're supernatural abilities, abilities that humans don't have uh, naturally to make a pun. These are things like spiritual dreams and visions and prophecies and healings and wisdom and all of these wonderful things. Again, there are about 20 of those supernatural abilities, and they only come from the Holy Spirit. Okay, so for me, in my mind, uh, you're you're saying that the fruit of the Spirit are kind of things that we do when you say supernatural behavior, Mm -hmm. and then gifts of the Spirit are something that we couldn't otherwise do without the help of the Holy Spirit. Well, both of them, we we have to have the Holy Spirit to help us, Mm -hmm. but but more supernatural uh, in, in that realm of the gifts of the Spirit are things that we get, we'd step back and go, wow, mm-hmm. that only come from God, from, yeah. from both of those. And so, right. so the book and the podcast uh, are teaching us how to have the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit in our daily lives and behavior. Exactly right. Okay. Well, um, Dr. Owen, 
Uh, you have had quite a life. Uh, so let's back up one last time. Uh, this episode is supposed to be about what God is doing in your life, and uh, that would include your family. So tell mm-hmm. us a little bit more about your family before we end, please. Yeah, that's that's. I'm glad you mentioned that, Shannon. Yeah, you remember back in our very first episode uh, with uh, when we were interviewed by uh, uh, TV personality Manuel Grady, uh, I talked about my family. And so I'll just repeat just a little bit of that uh, in the interest of time. I'm married to the love of my life. Her name is Joanna. Uh, We've been together now for almost 40 years. Uh, Between us, we have four children, 12 grandchildren, and nine great-grandchildren. So that's a heap. And uh, I know that our full story would have to be for another day, but uh, I do want to say that meeting her, check this out, was another one of those great big turning points in Mm -hmm. my life that the Holy Spirit changed literally within 24 hours, my complete life. Um, He put us together through an amazing sequence of supernatural events that would make a movie. She was in Switzerland, and I was in Central America, and just it's a tremendous story that we can't get into today. But I I would put it this way, Shannon. Uh, When we say, Joanna and I, that we have a marriage made in heaven, we mean it (laughs) because our our marriage really was made in heaven. That sounds great. I, I, maybe one day we can we can tell that uh, story in a future episode, or maybe one day we'll make a movie or something out of it. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, but for now, as we definitely uh, come to the end of this episode, I've got a few notes here. Hmm. Uh, so I'd like to summarize a little bit about uh, what, what, what I'm feeling like that, that God has taught you over your lifetime. Is that okay? Well, well that ought to be interesting. Let her rip now. <laughs> okay. Well, so here, here's what we have. First, being a Christian can be divided into two parts. That's being saved and being spirit-filled. Being saved is common. Being spirit-filled is rare. Yep. Okay. Second, here's what I've got. Uh, Christianity itself can be divided into two parts. Institutional Christianity, uh, which means like today's denomination, denominationalism. Uh, And then also the other one is early Christian-type small groups. Denominations are common. Early Christian-type small groups are rare. Totally. All right. Uh, And and thirdly, um, spiritual growth, which means being spirit-filled, can also be divided into two parts, having the fruit of the Spirit and having the gifts of the Spirit. Again, both of these are rare today, though. Absolutely, and that's what the Gallup polls prove. Wow. Okay. All right. And fourthly, uh, today's denominations do not do a good job of teaching these lessons. Uh, The result is that they're in crisis today with declining attendance and declining social influences. Tragically, yeah. Okay. All right, fifth, because of this lack of teaching then, uh, today's average Christian is no more spiritual than a non-Christian. There it is. There's that Mm. that poll that you were talking about. Yeah, double, double tragic. Okay. All right, and then, and then lastly, uh, whether or not uh, a person attends a denominations, the easiest way uh, to grow spiritually is to form a small group like the ones the original Christians had, uh, and to meet and worship, uh, you know, the way they did. That's right. That's a goodness. That's a wonderful uh, summary, Shannon. I'm I'm very impressed. Uh, And you're absolutely right there on point number, I believe you called it point six. And that's something we're going to talk a great deal about uh, in future episodes uh, about small groups and how they functioned and how they should function, whether or not you're a member of a denomination. Because like we always say, if we do what they did, we'll have what they had. Well, I must say, Dr. Owen, I feel like I've known you you know, for uh, a little while. Pastor John, uh, back in the day, would call you uh, uh, his invisible friend. And now that we've met you and, and you, 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 you're very involved with, even within our congregation, Amen. Uh, I just appreciate everything that you've done for us. But, but for me personally, this has been a fun episode, a great way to get to know you a little bit more. And and I've enjoyed your life story. I'm sure the listeners have. And and we certainly pray that the Holy Spirit continues to bless you 
uh, with miracles um, all the days of your remaining life. Well, God bless you, Shannon, and that's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for all of our friends out in podcast land. Yes, and and, and our friends in podcast land definitely need to remember uh, that this is episode 11 in our series uh, and that we have a new episode every other Tuesday. Uh, and also, even more importantly, you know, than, than listening, but but grabbing these transcripts uh, and recording of our episodes is important because you can follow along and, and you can make notes and and uh, just just, you know, I'm a visual learner. And so not only listening, but also uh, looking and, and following along, following along. And they're they're on the website. Uh, and so to get these transcripts and recordings, uh, all you need to do is, is centri- simply go on the Internet uh, and go to www.goscpod.com. That's G-O-S-C-P-O-D.com. Uh, but for now, this is Shannon Wolf, And this is Owen Allen saying, may the God of our fathers bless you and keep you and guide you and protect you until we meet again.